Support for Cover Story comes from Billiards on Broadway in downtown Columbia, Missouri. Family-friendly and locally owned and managed, Billiards on Broadway features fresh-cut fries and 12 Missouri craft beers on tap. Billiards on Broadway in downtown Columbia. This is Cover Story with Stephanie Shanakan. It's a podcast where we take apart the song covers we love and take a deep dive into the stories behind those songs. I'm Stephanie Shanakan. I'm interested in uncovering the personal stories about how we connect with these great songs and what these songs mean to our lives. Ultimately, I get my guests to choose a version of the song they prefer, and I want them to defend their choice. This is Nothing Compares to You. It's written by Prince in 1984 for his band, The Family. It's been seven hours and 13 days Since you took your love away This version was recorded in 1984, but wasn't actually released until only recently, in 2018. Instead, the song debuted on the family's 1985 self-titled album, released under the Paisley Park record label. Neither version had much of a splash. Fast forward five years, when, in 1990, a 24-year-old Irish singer-songwriter by the name of Sinead O'Connor released her version. It's been seven hours and 15 days. It became a breakout hit, thanks in part to the song's music video, made up almost entirely of a close-up shot of Sinead's face. I remember being so excited about this version, but I'll reserve my preference for our discussion. Which one is better, Sinead's version or the family's version or Prince's version? Today on Cover Story, I'll talk to my good friend, Jeremy Root. Jeremy and I met on a board some years ago and discovered that we both love to listen to and talk about music. We've had endless conversations and dialogues about the music that we love. So today we're going to take on one of these songs. We're going to talk about the song, Nothing Compares to You. So Jeremy, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here. Great. All right. So let's get into it. Let's start by talking about your relationship with music just generally first, and then we'll get to the song. Sure. So, you know, growing up, we had a lot of music in the house. Uh, my mom played violin in the string quartet, and she played at weddings, and so the string quartet would practice in our home uh, and play classical music, and we had records that were belonged to my parents and then records that we got when we were kids, mm-hmm. and uh, we were also in children's choir and took piano lessons, and uh, there was just a lot of music in the household growing up, and the relationship to pop music and then soul music and 
gospel music mm-hmm. and uh, uh, just kind of an array of different musical forms that were just around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so music was always an important part of my life. Yeah, the thing I love about you and your relationship to music is it's not one kind of music. You know, there'll be people that you'll meet where they have a huge catalog of just jazz or just hip hop. Um, and I have seen your collection and it's everything. So I was, I was thrilled to hear you choose this particular piece um, because I think it reflects a combination of different genres. Um, we, we can argue about where we put prints, whether it's in soul music or R&B or, or even um, rock and roll. Um, but for today, I'd love to just focus on the song itself. So Jeremy, I'm gonna have you choose a side real quick, and then we will go down a journey of why, why you like one version over the other. So what are you going to say? When I first heard the song, it was through Sinead O'Connor, and uh, it was a smash hit, and I was in high school, and uh, I became obsessed. I'd heard her first album, Lion and the Cobra, and so I knew who she was. Mm -hmm. And then when this song came out, it was a global hit. It's uh, amazing. And when I learned later uh, that, you know, from studying the liner notes and then from when the recording came out uh, on the Prince Hits compilation, that it was a Prince original, uh, I, I became kind of obsessed with the Prince version, mm-hmm. uh, both because not that many people knew still that it, w- that it was a Prince song, and so there was some cachet with even knowing that, you know, <laughs> right. which is nice right. to have. Street and, cred. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, and then the, the two versions are so different from one another. You know, Sinead O'Connor's version is very uh, vulnerable and sort of intimate. Uh, and sad, really mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the version that's a duet with Rosie Gaines is almost, it almost turns the song into a coming back together love song mm-hmm. where, they, where they're both singing, they're both a male voice and a female voice are singing on the chorus, Nothing Compares to You Together. Really changes the, the, the way the song feels. And maybe because I am an optimist uh, and I love Prince, um, that, that's the version that has become the version that I think about first in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's the version that I'll defend. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you're going to go on the Prince version. Um, so I will say that I love the Sinead version, um, probably a little bit better than the Prince version. Um, you know, I remember where I was in my life when that came out in 1990. Um, I think so many of the stories we tell about these songs are very personal stories, right, about who we were falling in love with at the time that this that this came out, um, you know, I was I think in my first year of, as an undergrad, and of course, you know, we're thinking about you know that guy down the <laughs> down the road or whatever. Um, but the as you've mentioned, the vulnerability of her voice and the presence of her of herself in the music video. What did the music video say to you? It, it, it was so striking. I mean, it was impossible not to just embrace from where I was because you've got this woman who is 
got these striking facial features, these large eyes, just high cheekbones, you know, beautiful, but has also chosen to shave her head, mm-hmm. which is an intensely nonconformist choice. Mm-hmm. And you are one of the things that the video does is it makes you as a viewer sit with that for the whole video. And so here's this woman's face and she's sad and she's crying and she's beautiful and she's also sort of a punk, right? You know, she's she's got this very confrontational aspect of her appearance in the, in the way that she's chosen to wear her hair. You know, if the song had been recorded by a, a woman with a different set of features, it likely wouldn't have made the same impact mm-hmm. because there was something arresting about that contradiction right. where you have this woman singing this vulnerable, sad song about a person who she's missed and she's marking the hours and days since she's missed them. And, and she's crying and she's, you know, in, in a very going to see a therapist you know mm-hmm. i went to the doctor and guess what he told me mm-hmm. you know that he's really at a in a in a sad sad space mm-hmm. yes the video not only as you said in um the way she looks but actually how the video is shot right so it's just her face for most of the video i think there are few a few shots of her walking around some fountain or something but but most of it is where her face is up front and um, she's wearing black, and the background is black, so it's just her face that emerges, right? Um, so we are, we are moved to listen to what she has to say. Um, I like this version, and I will, I will ride with this version because it reminds me of, you know, what I was, how I was evolving as a young woman. Um, and it, isn't it interesting that the song was written by Prince, but it's such a song from a woman's perspective? Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and I think that there's something to that. And you think back in 1984, 1985, Prince was sort of at the height of his powers, right? Purple Rain comes out, mm-hmm. Around the World in a Day comes out. He's got these number one hits all over the charts. It's a worldwide phenomenon. And he has this song that he's written that is a very vulnerable song. That uh, that he doesn't want to release under his own name, right? He did, that he he hands it to the family, which is a little known side project that he had at the time. Although I will say they it it hit number fourteen on the American R and B charts at the time. Uh, that was its peak, and so it, it did make a little bit of a splash. Little ripple. A little bit of a splash <laughs> to a certain audience, uh, which I was not a part of, <laughs> just to be clear. Right. Uh, and um, but you know that. The way that the song is sung by Sinead makes it so clear that it feels like a woman's song, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it, 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 but, and, but the fact that it was written by Prince and then recorded by Prince, and not, you know, it's not a woman's song. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's imagining it to be a woman's song, right? And he's writing it from that perspective. It's mm-hmm. hard to know. He, mm-hmm. he, you know, he had multiple ways of expressing himself and multiple identities he, he sought yeah. to oh, pursue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, it wouldn't be... Uh, unexpected to me for Prince to ever have imagined a, a woman in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. We we know we know now how fluid he was in terms of thinking about himself, um, in terms of gender identity and 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 so on. Um, you know, when, so when I think about 1990 and myself in 1990 as a woman, right? As a as a young as a young woman. Um, growing up in Nigeria. So I was in Nigeria when this song came out. And the reason why I didn't know anything about Prince sing, writing this song or um, performing it or releasing it on an earlier, in an earlier version is, is that um, 
Sinead's version became more of a pop classic. And so living in across the world in Nigeria, we consumed what the radio and the television gave us from, from America and what they gave us, or from the West, I should say, because Sinead is not American, but what they gave us was this version by Sinead. Um, so when I think about my 21-year-old self, um, I would say that my 21-year-old self loved this song. My 50-something-year-old self now understanding um, with some some new sort of revelations of, of race and identity and the ways in which colonized countries were given and were made to consume the West. Um, I find it very problematic that I prefer this version over <laughs> Prince's version. <laughs> But if you ask my 21-year-old self, I will ride with it till, till the end. Well, and again, one of the things that's amazing about this song and, and with the concept of the cover is that to people like you, and I think the overwhelming majority of listeners in the world, the Sinead version is the original version. Right. There's a, she's not covering a song. Mm -hmm. she's, she's recording a song that someone else has written, which I think is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Uh, than covering a version of someone else's song. Absolutely. And, and so there's a real case to be made that, that her recording is maybe the authentic original, right? Uh, that, that because that's, what it was, that's how it was understood mm -hmm. by the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the world understood this as a Sinead O'Connor song. And the fact that Prince had a version that, you know, that the family recorded in 1985 is like track three on the B side of an mm -hmm. album that basically went nowhere shows that he didn't have a lot of faith at that time in the song on its own merits. Or maybe he just wanted to not release it for other reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, particularly in the mid-'80s, Prince remained afraid of being stuck mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. black music. Right. Uh, and right or wrong, he, he, it was something he didn't want. He never wanted to be stuck anywhere. He mm -hmm. didn't want to be stuck in a, in a male-female binary. He didn't want to be stuck in a record contract. Right. He didn't want to be stuck on a certain radio format. Right. He wanted to be Prince. Mm -hmm. And this was Prince from the beginning. Absolutely from the beginning. And so the family is, an, you know, all of his side projects are interesting. This one is especially interesting um, because it gave birth to this song that later went on to become a globally known hit. Mm hmm yeah, so um, as we think about these two, Sinead and Prince, it's also interesting to think of or to imagine what their relationship might have been, right? Yeah, I, I, from what I know, they had a somewhat contentious relationship um, mm -hmm. because she had such success with the song. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and it just led to some challenges between them. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think they were close. Mm -hmm. I don't think they were either. Um, so, Jeremy, how much of your love for the Prince Rosie version is as a result of your love for Prince himself? You know, it's significant. Uh, my love for Prince and the reason why I, I like that song, that version, uh, better. Um, it, again, it, as you said, it's no shade on Sinead's version. It's a, it's a, you know, version that I love. And uh, and you know, it, when when I heard that song, I was probably infatuated with Sinead O'Connor mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, you know, remembered all the words and sang along and cried along. Oh, uh, you know. Jeremy! <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you know that what I love about the Prince version is in part that it's not the Sinead O'Connor version, mm. and that's it, it, that it's so clear that it's his own stamp mm -hmm. on it, on the song that he wrote, 
um, which is, you know, it's interesting too to think about the demo recordings that were released posthumously, um, which sound somewhat like the family's version, but are a little sparer than mm -hmm. that one was. Um, clearly, he didn't want to release that in his lifetime, uh, or he chose not to. Maybe, maybe he planned to before he died, uh, mm -hmm. but he chose not to. Mm -hmm. And so the version that that I think of was the Prince version is the version that he chose to release on the hits compilation. And what I love about it is it reinvents the song. It takes the song, you know, it's sort of because of the duet nature, as I said, it, it makes the song feel like a love song mm -hmm. rather than a breakup song. Uh, and I think that's amazing. It's mm -hmm. amazing to have the same song with the same words, with just a different arrangement and a different vocal uh, arrangement feels like a totally different song, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and I, I, I think in general prefer um, gospel and soul music as a style, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and it feels that way. His, his version feels in that, in that camp more, mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's definitely an outgrowth of my love for Prince and also a sense that it takes such imagination and talent to be able to do that to a song. Mm -hmm. I love the um, choices that Prince made, right? To um, to take it back, even in the version that I I spent a lot of time listening to, um, where it's just him. It's it's just him on on his own. It even though he's on his own, it still feels a little bit more celebratory, you know, and and uplifting than Sinead's version does. Um, and then there are those saxophones, you know. <laughs> That, that that make it, dare I say, feel a little bit less feminine. <laughs> and it kind of place it in a certain time, a certain era of, of R&B kind of, um, that Sinead does not do. Oh, she, mm -hmm. she knows she doesn't belong there. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. she's tried a lot of genres. Uh, in her career, mm -hmm. including even a duet with MC Light on her first record. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a I, it's a lovely song. It's a lovely dance song called uh, "I Want Your Hands on Me," um, and it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but you know, it, she, as far as I know, hasn't really ever tried to record a, a soul or mm -hmm. you know R and B type record. Right. Um, so we know she was way high on this on the release of, of this song and the album and then her let's talk real quick about her um, her evolution since then um, how do you feel about the Sinead in 2021 like as you look back now what what ha what do you know about what happened after that so I you know I know a fair amount um, I, and I feel I, I continue to feel intrigued um, by her as a musician and as a, you know, sort of pop culture figure, because in she she went from 1990 where she could do anything she wants, right? Right? She could write her ticket. She's a global phenomenon, number one, world number one, and then she tears up the Pope on on TV, and people, you know, had a very strong negative reaction. Um, and and this happened before the sort of all the news we now know about the, the, what was happening in in some uh, some portions of the Catholic Church. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And growing up in Ireland, the Catholic Church is very dominant there. Uh, and so it was a really a, a 
provocative protest and mm-hmm. a very public one that had a lot of consequences for her. And her whole career, it seems like she's got an, a very strong "I'll do what I want" uh, <laughs> right. uh, mode, which I admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it takes confidence to make decisions that are controversial. Yeah, and I think even even if we look back again, back to the moment of 1990, the choice that she made, um, or she and her team made, um, to cover this song but also a song that wasn't well-known, right? But also to, um, to take a Prince song. I mean, that's ballsy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the video as well. In an, during an era where there was a lot of gyrating in music videos, <laughs> right? There's a lot of dance, a lot of, of, of movement, choreography, and all of that. Um, that in itself, that moment, I think she was rewarded for those, for those brave choices. Um, at that at that time, and of course, the world is is not nice always, you know. And um, some of her other choices, as you've said, uh, some some of her other actions um, have really cost her a, a lot. Um, so she's recently, um, of course, um, converted to Islam, and is now, you know, she her her most recent um, outing um, was five years after she her last one. So she'd been silent and invisible for five years, and she comes back out um, in the in a hijab and um, attempts another tour. Um, and there's footage that you can see of her um, on stage in the hijab. I mean, um, miles away from, like, centuries away from 1990. Um, and, um, but it's still the voice, it's the same voice. And she actually sings this song in, I believe, 2020. Um, but I think we, we receive it differently because she looks different on, on, you know, we as in the world, you know, and the listeners and the fans, um, receive it differently, um, because of how she, how she comes across, um, and we know that in that we perceive symbols in ways that are constructed by the society, um, and so um, it'd be interesting. I know that the, that COVID um, shut shut that tour down, but it'd be interesting to see what she does after this um, this long lockdown that that we're hopefully coming out of soon. Um, all right, so I think I would love to end with uh, you. <laughs> you taking a stab at this very difficult question, which is that if if we had a one to a hundred, right, and we looked at these two covers, oh, and we should mention Aretha Franklin's cover as well, which is so different. You're the one who told me about that version because I had never heard it. Um, talk about that that version real quick. Well, I, I mean... It, it's Aretha. It's so. Aretha. So, I mean, what, what, what more do you want me to right. say? <laughs> It's, it's Aretha. It's Aretha Franklin singing an amazing song in, in her own unique way. He said, Aretha, girl, you better have fun. I was actually surprised to find that Aretha had recorded it. It's not something that I knew uh, at the time that it was released. And then you know, found it when I started thinking about this this project with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, Aretha Franklin is, is an important person to think about with covers because, of course, Respect is a cover of the Otis Redding that's song. That's right, that's right. And talk about somebody who snatched the original away. Well, I think she did to Otis Redding what Sinead did to Prince. Fair. 
Possibly. Fair, fair. except the, 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 the only difference being Prince didn't release it as Prince before, right? There was, the, the original was, maybe she did to the family. But, uh. Yeah, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, and it's, it's, so it's very jazzy. It's very upbeat. It reminds me of, um, what's that song that Aretha did? Um, did? Did she do Pink Cadillac? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's that same, I don't know if she did it around the, the, the same time. Do you know if it was the same? It was later. It was yeah. later on, yeah. yeah. But that same sort of upbeat, um, up-tempo, um, pretty jazzy version. Of yeah, and the, you know, the thing that uh, Aretha's version and the Prince version with Rosie Gaines have in common is there, there's like this gospel impulse mm-hmm. in, embedded in it where, you know, you, 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 when I think about it, I think about how it would be very easy to turn two, three words and turn it into a praise song, mm-hmm. right? Turn it into a gospel song that the church is now rocking out to, yeah. which Sam Cooke, you know, did the other direction, right? When, when, when he started his career mm-hmm. and, and left gospel and went mm-hmm. to contemporary and, mm-hmm. um, Started with God and went to went to her girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, just a little a little turn, and it would be nothing compares to some kind of higher power, exactly, right? Exactly. That's that's absolutely true. Um, so and okay, so you've you've raised something that made me think about the Sinead version again. So I'm going to come back to it. Um, do you find that the instrumental choices in the Sinead version are they remind me a little bit of church as well, but a different kind of church? Yeah, so I, I mean, it, the Sinead instrumentation is feels like it's mainly synthesizer and yeah. organ mm-hmm. kind of driven. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely, it's kind of an organ feel, mm-hmm. and it builds in that way that that sometimes a, a church organist mm-hmm. will build. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can hear that for sure. Um, it, it, but it. <laughs> This is going to sound funny, but it's like white church. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I mean when I say a different kind of church. It's definitely a a, a, a quieter church, yeah. you know, a, a church that is uh, set in sort sort of a, a Catholic space or something like that. Yeah, yeah, where you know where where people would sit quietly while mm-hmm. the, while the mm-hmm. soloist was singing, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than try and lean in and participate right. uh, while right. the soloist is mm-hmm. singing. Yeah, and this is something that that um, I I challenge my students with a lot is they'll listen to two versions of one song or two different songs, and um, they'll listen to the quote unquote black version, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, that's 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 really spiritual, that's that's soulful, right?" And then we'll listen to some you know country song or or something like that, and they'll they'll kind of sit back and say, "Yeah, that." That doesn't have soul. It's not spiritual. And um, I always say, you know, it's just different aesthetics. You know, it's just a different way of connecting to a to a higher power. Um, and so I think the Sinead version is just as spiritual. I mean, we've talked about the vulnerability that we hear in it in her voice. Um, that's the kind of vulnerability that will that will move. You know, like that will move you. That will move your spirit um, in a way that. Prince's version, at least the one that you talk about with with Rosie, is it also has that ability to to move, but in a sort of in the black church and in certain um, aspects of Christian church, it's praise worship, right? So if Prince's is the praise, hers is more the worship. You know, it's much yeah. quieter. Yeah. yeah, and you know, in the the vulnerability of the song is part of what made it such a success. Mm-hmm. I think because it's. 
you know, it just really puts it out there. And, and, and people can remember and relate mm -hmm. to that vulnerability and, and also admire it and be attracted to it because it's something that is bold to do and bold right. to be. Right. To, when you're vulnerable as publicly and as directly as she was in the video, mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it's very relatable. Right. Okay. So if we, if we had a, a uh, 1 to 100 um, scale, um, we could say Sinead and Prince are 50-50, but what would you say in this scale? Where would you put the weight of the of the scale? How much are you going to give to Sinead? I don't I don't want to say one is one is better than than the other without giving one at least a little a little space on this on the scale. Yeah. So to me, it, without Sinead O'Connor, the song is a forgotten relic of history. That is clear. That's uh, true. Mm -hmm. And and it's because Sinead recorded the song and made the video in the thoughtful way that she did in 1990 that anyone knows the song. So I have to give tremendous credit to Sinead O'Connor uh, for, yeah. for, for that. Uh, of course, Prince doesn't write the song. There is no song. Uh, and I, at some point, I want to learn that how the song wound up going from the family B-side to Sinead O'Connor's people. Um, because that, I'm sure, is an interesting story in and of itself. But I want one that I don't know. Um, and so, in terms of the overall song, in terms of the contributions to the world of the song, I'm going to give probably 75 to Sinead and 25 to Prince, even though my wow. own preference is well, well, well. Uh, that this the, is a shock to me. <laughs> <laughs> my own preference, in my own favorite version of the song, is it's the one great. Prince recorded. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you just can't ignore the fact that it became a cultural phenomenon when Sinead O'Connor recorded it mm -hmm. and not before. That's great. I concur. Um, I think that, um, again, my 21-year-old my self would say 90% 90 per, 90 Sinead, but um, in my evolved form, I, will, I would go with... Um, Probably fifty-fifty, but I like your. I like the idea that Sinead's version really has contributed so much to the life of this song, which is really um, what these songs are all about. It's it's these are classics because they've lived on, and um, it would not have lived on without. I don't think without the Sinead version, um, but we absolutely also love the Prince version. Indeed, indeed. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Jeremy. I know we'll have you back because you are a lover of music. <laughs> Thanks very much. My pleasure. You've been listening to Cover Story with me, Stephanie Shanakan. We're talking about the songs that we all love, the stories behind them, and how they live on through these covers. On the next episode, I'll be talking to another friend of mine, Thomas Kane. We're going to look at the song Peace of My Heart and ask the question, Janis Joplin's version or Irma Franklin's version? Cover Story with Stephanie Shanakon is produced by Janet Saidi, Christopher Husted, Fernando Naro, Raymond Tangakar, and Ryan Vermuliner, and me, Stephanie Shanakon. This podcast is a collaboration between KBIA News and Vox Magazine with the College of Arts and Science and the Missouri School of Journalism. You can find more about this podcast 
on Twitter at KBIA and at Vox Mag, and in the current issue of Vox Magazine. See you next time.